I'm sure you've noticed that a big uh, article in the news these days is about our banks and the exorbitant profits that they are bringing in. And they're slow to pass on the interest rates and the increases to the savers. And there's a lot of chat about the increased base rate that the Bank of England uh, make from month to month this past number of months. And so there's much discussion about the banks. This morning, men and women, I want to bring you not into a bank, but I want to bring you into a prison dungeon. And there you'll find a man who is joyful and a man who has a happiness about him. And you might say, well, that's contradictory, is it not? You might consider that to be well nigh impossible. I want to tell you it wasn't the first time that he was in a prison. I want to tell you it wasn't the first time that one of God's servants is found in the dungeon. For when we come into this passage in Philippians 4, we find that nonetheless the Apostle Paul is a found in a dungeon. He's incarcerated in Rome. He's on in years now. He has seen many churches planted and he's preached the gospel in many places. But at this time, he is in that dungeon in Rome. He's facing probable death. And yet there's a joy about him. There's a happiness about him. Because there's a little church who had remembered him even in his affliction. And this church is the church at Philippi. And they had sent gifts unto him before. And now again, They're found to be remembering Paul in this his time of bondage. You will see that in verse 10. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. And the little word again needs to be underlined. They had uh, given him gifts before, and now uh, their kindness towards him has abounded again. And you'll notice it again in uh, even the words of verse 16. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. He looked upon their kindness as a fruit of the grace of God in their life. A living proof, if you like, that they had been lifted out of their heathenism. That they had been lifted out of their selfishness and brought into the blessed truth of Christ. We can only wonder When that gift was brought to Paul, was it appended with the name of Lydia? Was it appended with the name of the Philippian jailer who was saved that night in the Philippian jail and who rejoiced to see his family converted as well as Paul and Silas had dwelt amongst them? What a contrast with those in Rome. You see, those in Rome were known for selfishness. Those in Rome, and particularly in in authority, would as quickly leave the prisoner to starve to death. Yet here were a people who were thinking about the one who had preached the gospel unto them. They will not abandon him. They will out of their slender means cheer his sad condition. And Paul comes in thankfulness and he gives them the assurance that as they had met his need time and time again, God would repay them. For he brings them, and by inference, he brings each one of God's people to the great truth of considering God's bank. Verse 19 But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Don't you note that first of all, the recompense. It doesn't matter what the stock market is doing. 
It doesn't matter what the economy or how it is performing. The God of heaven is not moved or affected by those things. Oh, we might be. And there's a lot of talk today about the squeeze and the family funds that are available and so forth. But it doesn't affect God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the imprisoned apostle can assure these believers that the God of heaven would not forget their generosity, but that he would recompense them. Notice the opening verses of that text. But God, but my God, He is the sovereign God that recompenses. The God who knows all things about our person and who looks upon the heart and not on the outward appearance is the God that will reward his people and who is debtor to no man. I want you to come with me to Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 12. I want you to consider what we read there of the Lord as he is in the treasury of the temple. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. It's near the end of that particular chapter. He's just finished about speaking about widows. And he goes on to say, or goes on, the account goes on to say in verse 41, And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. It's like the offering. There was a place in the temple uh, that the offering was collected. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mates, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more, hath more cast more in, than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. You see, the Savior sat down in the treasury, and he could see the rich man coming in, and casting in on the world's terms was larger sums of money. But in relation to their wealth, it was little. In comparison to the widow who cast on all that she had. She hadn't got the abundance. But what she had by faith, she cast it into the work of the Lord. And God who noted that, and the God who recorded it in the annals of his his word for all eternity, is the sovereign God who knows your situation and my circumstance. He's the sovereign God who knows every one of our hearts, and he's able to repay and more besides what we have given to him. And dear child of God, understand the impact of that. Of what Paul is really saying here. He says, my God. But that doesn't mean it's only the God of Paul, for he's our God as well. And the sovereign God who met Paul at the point of his need was able to do the same for these Philippian believers. Paul, in the midst of that dark, dank hole of a dungeon, couldn't make the tents to earn a living. But God was to give his living. Men and women, the God of the apostle is the God of Abraham who met him him at every point of his need to provide for him in his sojourn, even in that land that was set apart for Israel. He's the same God as Elijah who who bid him to go to the brook Cherith and in the midst of that famine he commanded the ravens to bring him bread and to meat. He overruled their instincts 
to leave the bread and the meat there twice a day. And the God who did that is still my God. He is your God. If you're saved this morning, Paul says, my God shall supply your need. And you know, I read a little piece about one of the American evangelists. That man who worked among the Indians. And in a great storm, he was to take refuge in a, in a great trunk of a tree. And that storm on the way, and this is going back, of course, 1700s, that storm didn't clear for three days. And there he was in that great trunk in that refuge. But you know, he noticed something. He noticed a little squirrel. And that squirrel brought nuts every day and had dropped it at this, the entrance to that uh, big uh, trunk. God is still the same God. He provided even that man some for food to get him through that storm. My God, Paul says, and men and women, when the water of the brook ran dry, the same sovereign God had a little Gentile woman who would sustain his servant, a widow, even though she was about to make and prepare her last meal. And so he sent Elijah right across the other side of the country. My friend, we need not concern ourselves about the words of some doom merchants when we have the sovereign God of the prophets, when we have the sovereign God of the apostles, when we have the sovereign God of George Mueller and of many a widow woman who can testify to his faithfulness. Is he your God this morning? You know, I read just a piece about George Mueller this morning. George Mueller doesn't need any introduction. He was the one that started those orphanages in the city of Bristol. But you know, he never sought any money from anybody, he just prayed. It's an amazing story, it's an amazing ministry that George Mueller had. And when he left, even people don't realize that he didn't simply die in Bristol, but he went for another 20 years as an itinerant minister right across the world preaching the gospel. Didn't die till he was 93. But what I read this morning was from his friend, uh, Dr. A.T. Pearson. And he happened to be in the orphanage one night, and when the rest of the servants and all the rest had gone uh, to bed, Mueller said to him, he said, we'll have to pray. Will you join me? And he opened up his heart and he said to A.T. Pearson, he said, I've nothing for the breakfast in the morning. There's not a thing. And Pearson remonstrated with him and he was to uh, remind him that the shops were all closed by that time of night. And Mueller knew that. He says, we'll pray. And so he started to pray as he always did. At least Mueller prayed Pearson recognized that he hadn't the belief, he hadn't the faith. But they prayed, and they went to bed, and they slept. And breakfast for 2,000 children was in abundance come breakfast time the next morning. The story is not told of how that all came about. It's wonderful, but suffice to say this, that God moved a man in the middle of the night and that man was to get out of his bed. And that man was to provide the breakfast for those 2,000 children, not only for the next morning, but for the next month. You see, that is the God that the Apostle Paul speaks about here. That's the God of Elijah. That's our God 
if we're saved today. You see also the scope of God's recompense. He says, but my God shall supply all your need. These are words of certainty to this church, whatever their needs. God will be able to meet them and supply their every need. It's brought out in the sense of those words. Literally, it could be read like this, and I put it, my God will fill to the full all your need. My God will fill to the full all your need. And if you want to see it illustrated, then consider how the Lord supplied the oil for the vessels of that woman who was about to lose her children to the creditors. And she borrowed not a few vessels from her neighbors. And she shut the door and she began at the bidding of Elijah to start pouring the oil. And those vessels, one after another, were to be filled to the brim. And so, men and women, is the scope of God's recompense that God is able to give to his people. How many needs this morning have you? Had this church at Philippi many needs? The more wants and the more needs you have. If you bring them to God, so much the better. For he, fill, he will fill them all to the brim. And when you have no more wants, and can I suggest to you that that will only be when you reach the eternal shore, when you get to glory, then the supply will be stayed, but not until then. How gloriously God provides and gives to his people. You might say to me this morning, Preacher, you don't know my needs. My needs are material. So is the bird's. Matthew chapter 6, in the words of verse 26, simply says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? You have material needs this morning. The Lord knows all about them. Not your greed, by the way. Don't put the wrong word in there. He will supply all your need. That's different. You might say to me, preacher, my needs are mental. And we're hearing a lot about mental health today. And we do not discredit that or play it down. But I tell you, look at the words of verse 7 of this chapter. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God is able to meet your need mentally. And your heart, even today. Your need is pardon. God is able to supply that need through the cleansing blood of the Savior. There is a fountain that is opened up in the house of David for sin and for uncleanness. You need a garment for heaven that old flesh of yours will not do. You'll need a new garment, men and women. And God only gives the best robe. He gives the best robe and he puts it on those who turn to him in repentance and faith. Even the garment of Christ's spotless righteousness. Preacher, I need reviving. Yes, what one of us don't need reviving? And you know, the Lord is able to meet that need. He said in Isaiah 44 and 3, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. Whatever your need is today, God is able to provide it. He's able to meet it. But you know, not only do we see that this morning, but I want you to notice, not only the recompense, but the riches. I was this church at Philippi going to know the recompense from the Lord for supplying the needs of the apostle. How does God supply his people? The manner in which he does it is not according to our poverty. It's not according to our just deserts, but it is according, as you'll see in the verse, it's according to those riches in glory. 
He does it only as God can do it. And when we consider his riches, as the apostle speaks of them here, they're riches which are extensive. He's able to give abundantly above all that we can ask or think. His storehouses are full, and they never need to be replenished. His riches are above all. The hymn writer captured it. He owns a a cattle on a thousand hills, and the wealth in every mine. His riches are inexhaustible. And it is from those resources that he's able to supply the needs of all his people. And that is illustrated for us upon the occasion when the Lord was to feed the 5,000. For having given thanks and having broken the bread and the fish, the disciples were told to distribute unto the hungry people. Mark 6 and 42 says, And they all did eat. And you can just quickly pass over that. But that word all... It is developed. We're told there was 5,000 men besides women and children. There could have been three times that number. But they were all did eat. But it doesn't even stop there. Because the next verse continues, and they were filled. So they all did eat and were filled. We might suggest it takes a great deal to fill some men, especially having been a day's journey out into the, into the desert. Yet the riches of God's grace and the riches of God's provision was to see them filled. And it doesn't even stop there. Because we read the disciples afterwards were to take up twelve basketfuls of fragments. Twelve basketfuls of remains. What was left over? His riches are inexhaustible to the extent that there are depths of the oceans to which none has ever gone. They're pulling up fish out of the water that they've never imagined were still there. Dinosaur-type fish. There are stars in the sky that the astronomer doesn't know about yet. So vast are the riches of our Creator God who is able to supply every need and even has provision for those needs not yet realized. But not only are they extensive, but they are eternal. You see, it says, according to His riches in glory. They're not only the riches of what He has done, but what He can yet do. And there's none who can reckon what God is able to do. For with God all things are possible. There's no limit to his eternal riches and to his eternal power. And it is by such glorious possibilities that God is able to supply the need of all his people. There are riches that do not rust away. There are riches that do not have the attention of thieves that can break in and steal. They are riches, his riches in glory. Dear saint, why then should we doubt God when we might consider something of those eternal treasures and riches that he has for his people? Riches and glory. And in supplying our need, God will do it in such a way that will bring glory to himself. I read to you Second Corinthians chapter 4, just a few chapters back, and the words of verse 15. And it simply says this, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. 
All things, writing to God's people, of course, all things are for your sakes. God is ordering out all things in this world for his blessed uh, people, for the blessing and for the benefit of his people. But it's ultimately for his glory. That's how the verse ends. In the world stage, things are happening. Men and women, all things are for your sake. And it's for his glory. For his glory. He will be glorified according as his plan and purpose has been meted out. And our afflictions will be nothing to be compared with the glory that will follow. The the psalmist could say, Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. He gives grace now to his people, and then glory thereafter. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Tell me, have you not been a recipient of his riches in the past? And take comfort, he is able to do the same again for you today, whatever your need is. He giveth, and he giveth again. And the God who has supplied our need through the mission even the week that has passed, he'll do it again this week. He giveth, and he giveth again. And if we're not receiving of his riches, then it begs us to take a look into our own hearts, to scrutinize our walk with God, for the fault most assuredly lies with ourselves. The riches are there. The storehouses are full. Men and women, they are available to us. What about the reason? How does God bestow his riches on his people? Why does he do it? The apostle is able to give the answer to that as well in the closing words of our text. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. No words could fully describe the riches in God's glory. But he says it's by Christ Jesus. The reason is all because of Christ. For in him is everything. He is the fountainhead of all blessing. And all blessings and riches and needs come to us by virtue of the merit of Jesus Christ. We don't deserve the least of the Lord's mercies. We can repeat those words of Jacob. Yet he, he is worthy of all. And it is because of Christ that they're led to our account. And Paul reminds these believers that they shall have everything through Christ and nothing without Christ. It's by Christ Jesus. C.H. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of London, bygone age, said this, He that trusts not the Savior and prays not to him shall be like Gideon's fleece. When all around it was wet, the fleece was dry. But the man who trusts God and blesses his name shall be like Gideon's fleece. When all around was dry, it was full of moisture. Are we trusting God? Are we praying unto the Lord that we might receive those riches, those blessings? 
The reason why we can expect every need supplied is because of our position in Christ. The man who is Christ is all things. For the apostle could say in another place, all things are yours, for ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. At the very point of conversion, men and women, God translated you from the kingdom of Satan, and he brought you into his family, and you're in Christ. That's your position this morning, justified by faith. And you're found as part of Christ's body today. And he can never sever that body. He can never amputate that body. You're in the body of Christ. And nothing can sever that union that you have with him. And because of our position, we can expect every need supplied. Because we're in Christ by faith and there's power in heaven. When we plead his name. You come and you read with me John chapter 16. Bear in mind, John chapter 16 has the background to it that the Lord has just told his disciples, the remaining disciples, that he's about to leave them. He's about to go to Calvary. And they would be bereft of the one who had walked with them for the last three and a half years. But John chapter 16, uh, he says to them in the words of verse 23, he wasn't going to leave them as orphans. He would give the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 23. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. There's the power in Christ's name. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. He's the only mediator, of course, between God and man. But there's power in heaven through Jesus' name. And he promises disciples, ye shall receive that your joy may be full. means that your joy may be filled up. According as we pray, we will have the joy. We'll have the joy. That's why I tell you right from the very start, the Apostle Paul's in a dungeon. He's in a prison, but he's joyful. And he's thanking God. Because he knew the power in the Savior's name to provide his every need. The reason that our needs can be supplied is because of the purchase of Christ. You see, it was at Calvary that the Savior gave us all. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and the words of verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet for your sakes he became poor. That ye through his poverty might be rich. As I said in the tent the other night. He became what we were. That we might become what he is. Rich. Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. And men of them just to think that he laid aside those riches. He laid aside that glory he had with the Father to come down to the scene of time that he might go one day to Calvary and there in his own body bear away our sin. And the punishment that we deserved, he was to bear it. And because he finished the work and because he purchased redemption for his people through the blood of his cross, then we can have all things by Christ. Jesus. He has wrought the victory. The old devil's head was bruised, defeated at the cross, and we on the victor's side, we enter in, had to get the spoils. 
the spoils that Christ purchased as a result of his death on the cross. And so, dear child of God, it is imperative that we plead the merit of the Savior, that we plead the merit of his own precious blood every day before God to meet and to supply our need. Lay hold upon God in Christ. And we have all. And we have more besides to supply our need. You see, we read of what God says in Romans 8 and verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? There's a promise. Give us all things. And dear soul, having looked to Christ, having depended upon him alone for salvation, and continue to look to him. Maybe I'm preaching to someone this morning You profess faith in the Savior, but yet you look and you think you can go your own way. You think that you can go on without dependence upon the Lord. And you want to go your own way. The very best of plans of the wisest of men goes astray. I would implore you to rest in the Lord. I would implore you this morning to rest patiently and wait patiently for Him. For you know the psalmist with us I close. The psalmist as an old man. He looks over a little time of his service in life. And he could say this. I have been young. And now I am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken. Nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth. And his seed is blessed. The psalmist was never in want. He looks over his life and he testifies of God's faithfulness, of God's provision, of meeting him at the point of his need. Maybe I'm preaching to someone you're not saved this morning. It is to Christ that you need to get to. You need pardon and cleansing. You need forgiveness. You need eternal life. Then flee to Christ. I wonder, will you not come even this morning just as you are in all your need? Because you will then prove my text. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And you will recognize and you will realize The truth of verse 20. Now unto God and our Father be glory. It'll be to the glory of God. What he did for Lydia. What he did for the Philippian jailer. What he did for the apostle who penned these very words in this book. He can do for you in Christ. He is still the mighty to save. May God be glorified this morning, even in the salvation of a precious soul. May the Lord be pleased to write his word on our hearts, every one of our hearts this morning, for his own name's sake. We'll stand and sing in closing 475, 475. I do not know what lies ahead, the way I cannot see. It one stands near to be my guide. He'll show the way to me. 475, watch the words as we stand the same place.
we do thank thee today for thy word. We thank the Lord we can speak as Paul spoke of my God. And he's able to supply all our needs according to his riches and grace by Christ Jesus. Thank the Lord for the storehouses of heaven are full. Thank the Lord they're at our disposal for the asking. O God, we pray that we might, Lord, ever give thee thanks for all thy blessings toward us, not least the blessing of God's salvation and the gift of thy dear Son. Thank the Lord for the purchase of a full redemption. And, O God, we, Lord, can identify with those words. We don't know the future, but we thank the Lord we know the one who holds a future in his hand. Lord, help us to give her all. Help us, O God, to surrender all to Thee and to rest and to wait patiently on our God. Speak on when the preacher's voice is silent. Speak to any of us unsaved that they might, Lord, come and even prove the words of this text. They might prove the riches. They might experience it for themselves, the riches and glory, and the riches of knowing sins forgiven, that assurance of a home in heaven. Have mercy, we pray. Bless us as we part for a little season. Give us a good Sabbath, Lord, this evening. And bless again in the tent. For we ask these things in our Savior's precious and all-worthy name. Amen.